Good day to everyone. Welcome to this episode of Engineering and Design Talk. I am your host and moderator, Marco Inc. The purpose of this podcast channel is to engage and share stories with people who are interested in learning more about engineering and design from all kinds of industries. Every episode, we try to bring in different guests, professionals who have engineering backgrounds from different parts of the world to speak about their industry experiences, stories, and things that they have seen and learned from the past and present. In this episode, we're covering topics around solid waste management. Do you ever wonder how all solid waste gets processed and handled? How solid waste the society produced are turning into renewable natural gas here in Canada. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Andre Joseph, who now lives in Calgary with his family. He has been practicing wastewater and solid waste engineering since 2010. Here in Alberta, Ontario and Quebec. He graduated from civil engineering school, father of two amazing children. He is fluent in both English and French. In this episode, he is sharing his engineering and design experiences around municipal waste engineering from the past, present, and future. Let's welcome Andre. Well, Andre, thank you for coming for the podcast as a guest speaker. Really appreciate your time. Uh, generally grateful that you are able to uh, join us as a guest today. Uh, so just for our listeners to, you know, they, they heard our quick introduction. So just for uh, 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 listeners to have a quick introduction of yourself, uh, why the topic of like solid waste um, engineering or management has become an area of interest for you to practice. Can you share some of your insights, please? That's actually a good question. So, you know, um, my background is, is a bit mixed. I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. So, you know, by education, um, I went to the University of New Brunswick. Uh, there I studied civil engineering, kind of focused mainly on, um, on uh, structural engineering, some geotechnical and some transfer engineering um, mixed into that as well. And, uh, but, you know, coming to Alberta, uh, I got involved as with everyone else in the oil and gas field. Right, and the oil and gas field is one of the, you know, most interesting fields uh, in terms of um, uh, engineering. It, it um, produces great energy that we use uh, uh, in our cars and uh, planes and stuff like that to get around, but also produces quite a bit of waste. So I got involved um, uh, at a point in sort of the remediation of some of the sites, so kind of gas stations, all uh, all oil, oil and gas. Um, facilities and gas plants. And, uh, you know, um, part of that is, is, is actually, you know, and pulls uh, up a lot of materials. So, you know, um, feel like on the containment facilities, a lot of them were indeed landfills, um, some of them treatment pads and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, um, getting into the industry through that end of things, um, it exposed me to um, um, waste, not, not, not in terms of only the traditional waste that we look at, you know, um, when you toss stuff into your garbage bin or into your green bin, but more towards um, waste in general. So industrial and commercial waste, 
uh, as well as residential waste. So uh, I've been involved in, in, in the waste field ever since. So I started in about 2008 and I've been working with the, both the private and public sector, um, look, looking at various waste, waste management solutions for both industrial and um, um, residential waste. So, so we're not talking about any bio waste at all, right? Like mainly just the solid waste that we're so um, more recently. So, um, um, looking at uh, um, biological waste has has a uh, inherent uh, component that it's it's potential energy, right? So, so if you look at your food scraps and stuff like that, that that that's all potential energy. So, if you can break those down under the correct conditions, we um, can actually produce a methane gas. And when I say correct conditions, I mean anaerobic conditions. So if we could combine, and in some cases we combine, you know, um, biosolids coming off of, say, wastewater treatment plants, that is the remnants of essentially um, um, uh, the treated solids that come out of your sewage, uh, we can mix that with food scraps and actually decompose those further under anaerobic conditions mm-hmm. and produce methane. So, you know, biosolids and um, combined with uh, food scraps is actually a very, very good source of um, renewable natural gas, commonly known as RNG. Right on. Okay. So typically your, you know, the, the, the end user or the customers that you deal with, like, are they mainly from the industrial sector or like there's a little bit of like um, uh, residential or municipality sector as well too? So that's actually a very good question. So the end users actually vary um, quite often. So there's actually one project that, um, you know, it's, it's on the go um, uh, in, uh, in Ontario right now where um, the, um, um, producer is actually a waste management company who takes in a number of different sources of waste and um, uh, to the landfill and they're actually um, um, taking a lot of the landfill gas which is essentially um, gas produced under anaerobic conditions in the landfill um, from uh, any sort of organic waste deposit in the landfill that would you know normally be fairly harmful if released uh, in its pure pure form they take that gas clean it up and actually um, make renewable natural gas with it, which is being piped to uh, a nearby um, automotive manufacturer. So that's one example of, say, private sector use. Um, but for the most part, um, um, uh, a lot of the renewable natural gas makes its way back into the, the consumer grid or the residential grid. Um, in, in British Columbia, they just launched the uh, new their new carbon, the low carbon fuel standard, uh, which essentially is promoting, um, you know, the production of renewable natural gas and other clean uh, energy sources um, um, for use at the the commercial and residential level um, within BC. So, you know, um, the end users vary between commercial and residential, but you know, uh, there's a premium to actually opting in to um, these programs because renewable natural gas is a little bit more costly than regular natural gas. Just, just to give you perspective, um, on the market, say uh, um, regular natural gas could vary between 2 to $4 per gigajoule, depending where you are. You know, of course, number is a little cheaper. But if you look at the market for renewable natural gas, it can vary anywhere between um, 20 to about $28 per gigajoule. 
um, depending where you are, right? And that has meaning to do with the, um, the um, renewable attribute or carbon credit that goes along with this, right? right. So most companies actually opt in as, you know, um, voluntarily just to show that they're good citizens uh, and, and, and that is their environmental contribution because they're willing to pay a premium for clean energy. Yeah. So my question is, I always wonder as well too, you know, there's like carbon tax and whatnot. Is, is it mainly where the subsidies, subsidies are you know, driven from? Or there's yes. other forms of like subsidies that, you know, like maybe like if you can educate me a little bit as well too, like. So there are actually a number of, of, of um, incentive programs and these incentive programs actually come at the federal and the provincial level. So, so here in Alberta, there uh, is the energy, um, sorry, the emissions reduction Alberta um, um, fund right now where, you know, they're, they're currently in the second round of interviews and uh, evaluations. So, these um, programs are more geared towards incentivizing the, the industry to actually, um, you know, look towards reducing emissions. So you, you can work both two ways, either um, by um, regulating that you, you um, low emissions and enforcement, which is often difficult, or by incentivizing people. The, the typical um, sort of uh, hurdle that, that most people have to cross is the the, the hurdle of capital. How do we get to that next stage if we don't have enough capital, right? So yeah. these programs provide active capital to both public and private sector um, uh, 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 applicants. Right on, right on. And then I'm sure like, you know, in your line of work, you have come across a lot of these um, scenarios as well too, like to help the client to understand the, the economics of the, the, yes. the, the feasibility of the project as well too, right? So it also has at the business case. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, you mentioned about the cost, right? So like, you know, having, having worked in engineering companies in my career, you know, I, I come to understand, you know, there's a lot of system involved that, you know, can contribute to the major financial burden, you know, in terms of material mm -hmm. and the constructions of the plants and stuff like that. So um, I'm curious in here when it comes to the solid waste management system, right? Like this, mm -hmm. for the lack of better terms, uh, solid waste management system there. Um, could you walk me through like generally what kind of systems and typical, you know, like machineries or, or, or system that were involved in to make that, you know, waste management plants actually functioning? Okay. Yeah, that's a very good question, right? So, um, so, you know, most people, you know, put their garbage out at the curb and actually, uh, you know, think that it just goes straight to landfill essentially, right? So, their black bag disappears, their green bag, their um, green bin gets emptied. But, uh, you know, solid waste management systems or just waste management systems in general are often quite complex. They're made up of, you know, um, it, it, uh, first source of collection, uh, it may go to a transfer station or transfer point for or pre-processing, but essentially um, uh, it doesn't all um, uh, um, actually end up into a landfill. So your first point is actually at your curb, right? So great care goes into selecting exactly the size of your green bin, black bin, blue bin, and um, how that's picked up. So, you know, some of your uh, bins may have RFIDs on them, the little, little barcodes, and that tell, um, gives the truck driver exactly your information. If, if you're going as PSGUs or PSGs throw, you can say, okay, fine. You don't have any waste today and put it back down so you get charged less taxes 
right? Or less resource collection. Because I don't, I don't notice any RFI code like on the bin. No, uh, actually, um, uh, in Okotoks, there are RFIDs on all of them. Oh wow! Right? Okay. So you yeah, know, um, <laughs> every municipality varies, right? So um, uh, I should just finish doing the uh, regional service master plan for for the uh, Foothills region. But yeah, um, so you know, we design these um, these systems based on on collection and and uh, the front well the front user, the resident, right? So you know, we have to, to select uh, the cart size, uh, even the type of truck that picks up your waste, depending on where you live. In rural rural areas, are slightly different. In small towns, it's slightly different. In cities, it's it's slightly different. In Calgary, what we use is actually an automated. Um, pick up so essentially the arm comes out picks the bin up and uh, um, dumps it into separate compartments depending if it's recyclables or if it's uh, organic waste or regular black bin waste right from there it may go to to a transfer station or sorting station where you know uh, that's compacted um, a little bit more uh, or separated um, where you know we try to focus on having the organic fractions go to uh, a compost facility or an anaerobic digester for additional processing to make either compost or renewable natural gas or digestate. And then and then any recyclable material will go to, to a material recovery facility, uh, also called a MRF. That's essentially where all of your plastic bottles, your cardboard, your entire blue bin goes. Mm-hmm. And then anything that um, that's left over that, that we call residuals, so that's, that's anything that can't be recycled, goes to the landfill. Right. So, you know, it all starts at at at, um, you know, know, the front end who are going to be the users of your system. Uh, It's going to be rural, city, um, multi-res. It's going to be single family home. That that is essentially the start for designing the system and determining exactly what comes down um, downstream from there. Right. So when it comes to like processing equipment and all that kind of thing, do you get involved in any of those? Um, stages or like you're looking at the overall system per se? So both actually. So the overall system planning, that is um, more of a planning exercise, essentially where we look at, um, you know, the expected tonnages. So it, it, it all feeds in from, you know, the various stages of design. You, you start in the public engagement slash planning stage where you find out exactly what uh, your, um, your demographic is in the area. Yeah. Uh, say you know the, the housing types because you know multifamily, um, you know apartment buildings. You find that you have a lot less um, segregation of waste and diversion, as opposed to a single family home because you know most people find it easier just to toss everything into one one bin. There isn't room per se to have people sort their waste. So all the garbage goes into one spot, and multifamily homes are usually. Um, you know, um, serviced by private collectors who aren't, you know, regulated or incentivized to actually separate waste. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one side, side of it where we sort of look after the actual program planning part of it that determines exactly what the inputs are going to be in to the actual design process. So in design process, we look at anything from, say, if you get that multifamily black bag that's all mixed, we have um, what we call... Um, um, dirty MRFs, right? So again, uh, um, recovery facilities where we can actually take that take that black bag of waste and actually sort out, to some extent, the organic material, mm-hmm. the recyclable material, and what we call residue, 
Yeah. Right. So that's that's handled by by a series of, of, of shredders and trommels and screens. Um, but if you do get say material that's fairly sorted, what we call source separated organics that comes out of your green bin and your uh, blue bin as well, um, we can um, put that through a much more more lighter pro um, processing process where it's just essentially shredded to the point that we can put it into a, a compost or digestion process. Right, and then I, I believe that digestion process is where uh, some of the engineering's that like, you know, like yes. you may have been involved in in the past before as well as here, right? So yeah, I still do that right now. Oh right, nice, nice, yeah. Nice. yeah. And then it's in Canada, the project. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're all in Canada, and uh, we even uh, uh, adapt this process to wastewater treatment plants, as I was telling you before. Uh, essentially, where we can take um, um, essentially digested waste that comes into the plant through sewage. So. Um, one of the final treatment processes for um, um, with all treatment plant plants are are actually to put all of the waste they are treated waste into an anaerobic digester. So under those conditions, with the uh, lack of oxygen, um, you know, given the name anaerobic digestion, it actually breaks down the waste under an, uh, um, um, anaerobic conditions, utilizing the bacteria that's. Um, um, present in the waste. So with the, the lack of oxygen, um, what happens is that, is that the bacteria actually produces methane hmm. uh, along with um, hydrogen sulfide and other gases. So we would actually extract those gases and remove the, the hydrogen sulfide uh, and, um, and uh, also other impurities and get a pure stream of methane. So that methane is what we call renewable natural gas and it's actually uh, either used internally within the, the treatment plant or actually put back into the grid. So it's not a very complex process uh, for the draw it up on the map, but it's a very, very delicate process in terms of the actual upgrading of the gas. And that's part, that's part of the uh, gasification process as well too, correct me if I'm wrong. Gasification uh, is a little bit different. That's actually um, where you take um, um, gas from, um, heating up the plastic or, or other organic material at a constant temperature, um, right? So that's a little bit different from gasification and pyrolysis. This is uh, um, essentially anaerobic digestion of organic material. Just eat up all the bacteria and all that, right? Exactly, right? So just feed, feed those bugs and bunnies and they give us beautiful methane. Well, what about the, the ongoing operation and maintenance um, procedures on those you know, like those systems, right? Like it could be really yeah. nasty, right? Yeah, you know, for the most part, you know, like no system's perfect, there will be waste streams. Um, granted, you know, um, these sort of waste to energy systems are a lot newer to Canada as opposed to Europe. They've been around for a very long time in um, uh, Europe, but, you know, typically, you know, it's, um, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, the most that we have to, sort of deal with would be sort of concentrated um, um, uh, sulfur, which, you know, sometimes depending on the, the, the actual waste stream can be elemental sulfur that we can sell or, or actually use as, you know, base feed for, for biological um, uh, H2S re um, uh, removal systems. Or, uh, you know, um, we do get um, uh, 
uh, activated carbon units that move H2S. And of course, those once those rods are spent or those um, um, units are spent, we just dispose of of um, the uh, the uh, spent activated carbon in landfills. That's quite interesting uh, career, you know, like growth for you as well too, right? Coming yeah. up like a civil and structural engineering background into yeah. more like very process uh, 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 focus and oriented, you know, yeah. yeah, and role as well too. Well, that's interesting thing, right? You know, coming out of um, um, university, you know, we all think that we're sort of geared towards, you know, one career path, but uh, you know, as I said, I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. Keep an open mind. Um, uh, as an engineer, you're uh, you're bound to learn something at some point, right? And it may not be exactly what you studied. So and that, that 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 definitely will help a lot as well too, along with the conversations or meetings with your clients, right? Because uh, yeah. you you definitely can offer a lot of different um, uh, perspectives, you know, coming from several disciplines that you know you have mm -hmm. you have grown yourself into as well too. So um so like you know those those design criteria that you mentioned typically when you have those conversations with your clients i'm more curious about like you know whether it's it's a defined line whether like hey should we build new one or like you know like retrofit or upgrade the existing one that we have nearby and whatnot so how what kind of conversation do you normally have like you know with that with those kind of clients so what I usually look at is actually um, retrofitting, for the most part, um, existing systems, right? Uh, so so we, we bring in new technology that can actually handle what, what would, would normally be considered to be waste from the system. So say a landfill. One of the biggest things right now is that across Canada, we're regulating greenhouse gas emissions. So whenever we put a black bag full of organics into a landfill, what we get out of it um, is essentially um, you know, um, biogas. So biogas is a mixture of methane, um, um, H2S, and, and methane is considerably more destructive to um, um, uh, uh, the atmosphere or ozone layer than, than uh, carbon dioxide, right? So typically what they'll do just to avoid that direct release to, to the atmosphere is actually burn it. Yeah. So what we do is actually collect that methane through the the um, the landfill gas collection system that has been um, mandated by the um, regulatory approvals for that landfill, mm -hmm. and um, and tack onto it or just connect onto it the um, the uh, biogas upgrading unit. So, yeah. So essentially, what we do, we actually just tack onto the um, um, existing systems. That are in place. So, so if a site already has a landfill gas collection system, what we'll do is is, is essentially connect our um, biogas upgrading unit to the landfill gas collection system, and um, uh, as opposed to flowing that gas, upgrade that gas to pipeline um, um, quality natural gas and reinject it. So essentially, we do not um, um, reinvent the wheel here, but we 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 just add to the process. So as opposed to um, clearing the gas and turning that methane gas into CO2, which, you know, it, it's okay. It's uh, less harmful than methane. Mm -hmm. um, we do find a beneficial use because CO2 still is harmful to the environment. So we prefer to not release that carbon back into the atmosphere in any form, mm -hmm. right? Um, not as methane, not as CO2, 
uh, or anything else, but actually put it back in the pipeline that we can actually burn it or actually utilize it uh, in place of uh, you know non-carbon neutral fuels such as conventional natural gas. Right on. Right? Yeah. So I was just thinking about like when you when you're walking through clients like this, uh, do, do do you guys look at the other case studies that you know other places in the world? Mm-hmm. Compared to like you know um, uh, Canada here, um, I, so I just want to I just want to understand a little bit as well too. Like you know, are we doing well like in Canada? You think or <laughs> <laughs> that's a loaded question, right? So uh, I would say you know when compared to Europe, Europe's been doing this for decades ahead of us. So you know we're behind the ball, but we're catching up. So if you compare us to say a European system, of course um, we have a lot of lessons to learn. Um, uh, to learn. So a lot of the, the technology providers actually are operating right now in Canada are, are actually European. So, you know, some are Dutch, some are French, and I um, know German. Um, to say that we're doing, uh, um, we're doing well or not in Canada, we could be doing better. Mm. Right? But the thing is, is that, um, you know, being a fairly new market and uh, folks are actually now, you know, so looking at alternative uses for their waste or, you know, better ways to, to handle um, greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah. Um, you know, the, um, the school of thought around renewables in Canada is changing because, you know, we have an abundance of, um, of our natural gas and abundance of oil in Alberta, Fort McMurray, and surrounding areas. And, you know, we were, were never really incentivized to sort of, you know, diversify and coming from Alberta, you know, the more oil and gas you put out, the better it is for our local economy here in the province, as well as Canada will, uh, uh, nationwide. Mm-hmm. But, you know, given that oil is low um, right now and, uh, and, and also what the potential impacts are to our climate and considering climate change, we need to diversify our thinking towards um, a more blended portfolio between renewables and conventional energy, right? And, you know, that blended approach uh, also has indirect uh, benefits where, you know, we produce less greenhouse gas, uh, but at the same time, um, we can actually actively manage waste that would typically go to landfill that would, that leaves, you know, um, legacy issues that can span anywhere between 20 and 30 years. Mm-hmm. So in your in your experience, compare like compare Calgary between Calgary to elsewhere, other municipalities, for example, mm-hmm. or Alberta or other provinces. Are are, are the renewable energy sectors um, coming to Alberta here, like to look for those expertise in, in 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 engineering and design, in mainly because of our you know petroleum and and energy sector that we're we have like you know a lot of like engineers and easily handle different gas processing and stuff. Mm-hmm. What, what, what do you see out there? I would say Alberta is uniquely positioned in terms of our expertise with um, um, gas upgrading. Um, but um, in terms of, of I'm dealing with um, conventional gas, but you know, if the experts in terms of um, um, biogas and landfill gas upgrading um, across, uh, uh, I should say well across Canada, because this isn't something that's sort of um, unique to just one province. So uh, in Ontario, there are a number of projects on the go right now in Quebec as well, and of course in BC. So so um, Fortis BC is actually driving 
quite a bit of um, um, these projects locally uh, in BC as, cross, uh, uh, as well as across Canada. So, you know, we do have the skilled technicians here, but as I said, you know, from um, the point of view, we're still sort of fixated on that oil and gas um, uh, realm here in Alberta, but we're slowly transitioning with a few projects on the books now, a few active projects. Very good to hear. You know, Alberta has a lot of uh, unemployed engineers nowadays, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, right on. So when it comes to like lessons learned and good practices in your field, right? Like, are there mm -hmm. any, uh, any things that you, you know, you have seen throughout your, your, your career that something like our listeners can, can hear about? Yeah, you know, um, what can I say? extremely long career. Um, I still got a few more years to go. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, um, there's actually quite a number of lessons to be learned. Um, most people look at waste as a bit of a nuisance. It's more, uh, it's in my opinion, a resource. And, uh, you know, we discussed a little bit earlier on about, about uh, projects being cost prohibitive just because of the capital investment. So, you know, people might have a landfill that, that produces a lot of uh, um, a lot of landfill gas that they say, hey, you know, we can't deal with this, we're just going to flare it. But, you know, uh, um, this, is, this is where we actually sort of have to employ creative thinking because um, quite often in my, um, um, my realm or, or my day-to-day -day life, um, what I should do is bring public sector um, uh, clients uh, to partner with the private sector. The private sector has a lot of um, capital to invest. The public sector has a resource, which is organic material or waste that we need to get rid of from, from you know, local municipalities and cities and stuff like that. So given the, um, the premium price for renewable natural gas right now on the market, as well as the production of carbon credits, um, there's an opportunity to bring both sectors together most people actually don't really see the opportunity because they still think about project development in the conventional sense as to the city finds um, uh, a potential project, they raise all the capital for it or get provincial funding and will actually execute that project on their own, right? So the greatest lesson learned, uh, at least for me, is that, you know, it something seems impossible um, given that we're sort of moving towards a new era in energy, why not move towards a new era in thinking and partnerships? Because, because the only way that we can really solve the climate change issue is to bring the public sector and private sector together uh, in terms of a concerted effort towards looking at new and more innovative ways of managing waste as well as emissions. So it sounds like there's certainly a lot of hopes like in the future that, mm -hmm. uh, that you look forward to. Uh, I do. So do you foresee any like, you know, future technologies is going to be like a game changer in the solid waste management world or like, well, are we doing it right now already? There's like a game changer happening right now. A little question actually, but yeah, you know, I see, um, you know, we um, spent some time talking about renewable natural gas, but you know, that in, in itself is only one technology on its own. Um, what I see to be the future would be actually hydrogen, right? So, you know, when you combust hydrogen, you get oxygen and water, right? And, um, you know, um, you can get 
produce hydrogen from the same sources that you produce renewable natural gas from. It's just a, 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 a nitrogen process. Um, so I see the the um, future or the real game changer into the industry uh, as the hydrogen. Australia already launched their um, 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 nationwide hydrogen initiative, and and they're partnering with you know car companies like Toyota to look at how can you get a viable hydrogen cell into a car, and if you solve that problem and and actually working, then that will lessen our dependence on fossil fuels. Granted, fossil fuels um still the oil for that but 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 you know the more we can di diversify that energy portfolio the you know um less and less effect we have on um um the, the global climate right on yeah 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 well said there um do you do you like when it comes to constructions like do you handle that sort of area as well too and commissioning and decommissioning yeah, um, um, we do uh, um, um, projects in Cradle Grave. So, as I said, on the um, planning side, it's actually you know how to collect the waste and and um, what waste we're collecting, and then we go into sort of the engineering side of it, where we design the processing uh, um, um, uh, equipment and processes. Um, a lot of these uh, things are actually uh, off the shelf, right? Um, okay. Um, um, say that, and uh, and and after that, we go out and build it. So the great thing is, is that uh, that a lot of these technologies are actually modular, so they aren't very hard to build. So um, we work very closely with the vendor, as well as a construction company, and uh, you know we assemble these things quite quickly. So yes, right. yeah, yeah. So I was just curious, like if the, if the construction companies are a very specialized construction companies, as well, say for example, like you know pipeline, that you're gonna have hmm. to like specialized, you know, pipeline construction companies because of the, you know, the heavy yeah. materials are very different, you know. Um, so when it comes to like, you know, solid waste management systems or any facilities like that, uh, mm -hmm. very typical general contractor uh, construction company. Yeah, um, there are actually a few companies that we, we partner with quite often here in Alberta, as well as in Ontario and uh, other municipalities, uh, uh, um, provinces that, uh, you know, they're actually realizing that the uh, the um, global landscape is changing, the national landscape is changing, and they would typically get involved in sort of the more conventional energy projects and 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 on resource treatment plan projects. But they've been quickly adapting. Um, even some of them actually getting specialized arms, um, you, you know, um, environmental arms that that actually focus on environmental projects, such as you know building compost facilities, building renewable natural gas plants and and hydrogen plants so you know um getting uh um the technologies sort of mainstreamed through um various projects has actually changed the market where people are a lot more focused and actually de developing these uh skills like in terms of design and construction and uh you know um right now there are actually only a handful of companies that can do it, but I think in the next five to ten years, once this becomes a lot more mainstream, um, nearly any um, uh, um, construction company can do this. Yeah. So have you ever, have you heard any like you know surprises you know coming from the construction companies, and then telling the engineering or design groups like you know like we cannot do this and, and you know what <laughs> that, 
I've heard that a lot. So I'm just curious yeah. about too. Like we all, you know, there's a lot of things that we can all learn from the constructor uh, after, you know, they have so much like, you know, few experiences and stuff like that. Right. So have you heard of any like areas like that in the past? Uh, not as yet, to be honest. Um, you know, quite often that the, um, the actual project delivery model model for, for projects like this would be design build. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, quite often we would team with the construction company to do this, right? So we, we work quite closely with them on design, especially around constructability. Yeah. Right. So, so far we haven't really heard anything that they cannot do. As I said, these systems are pretty simple to um, design and install. Uh, of course, um, you know, um, uh, every application is unique, but for the most part, if you can sort of work out exactly what your fee stock is and keep that fairly constant, mm -hmm. then there aren't any sort of real barriers to construction. For the most part, it's quite simple. Okay. Um, but, you know, in areas where um, you have to actually retrofit um, uh, all the facilities, then you have to get creative. But for the most part, if you work very closely with the uh, contractor, you know, uh, um, you know, most issues are very, very quickly resolved. Right on. Thanks a lot. Your practices so far, was there anything particular that you learned or happened to you that kind of like changed your, how, changed the way how you perceive things around engineering? Yeah, as I said, um, um, it's a very good question. So, you know, um, I've had a, a very, very varied career, you know, uh, being in oil and gas, um, the public sector, private sector, and seeing things from from um, uh, various points of view, uh, the most profound thing that I've learned and sort of realized is that, you know, um, there's no good and bad side. Essentially, um, you know, folks involved in oil and gas are not evil or you know, polluting on purpose. They're just trying to make a living like everyone else, right? So um, we're trying to do the good thing. Uh, sort of the right thing and uh, even the folks who are on the environmental protection side are just trying to do the right thing uh the main thing is that you know all of this is driven by by an economic necessity so there's no reason that we can we we can't profit um from actually doing the right thing mm -hmm. so looking at the at uh, the new markets that that uh, environmental you know um uh you know looking uh, um Renewable energy opens up. Uh, there's a, a great opportunity um, um, to to make money while protecting the environment and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So, um, as I explained to you, so the market that's now opened up with trading carbon credits, uh, um, it's actually taking the value of natural gas or you know re renewable natural gas when compared to regular natural gas, you know, orders of magnitude beyond and above. So it shows that, uh, um, you know, um, with some creative thinking, uh, also some collaboration, we can actually solve, solve the issue of climate change and also be profitable at the same time. Wow. It's great to hear, uh, especially someone in your role, in your capacity, in mm -hmm. the profession that you're practicing right now as well, too. Excellent. Well said. Um, so let's close to let's close this uh, interview by ending this with this question here. Um, if there's one engineering in any discipline that you wish every engineer would know or knew already, right? Uh, mm -hmm. 
or one thing that you know many of your engineering peers you know may may, may not actually use uh, uh, you know do this practice and stuff like that what would that be that you want to you know tell your peers and um, uh, you know engineers around the world <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question um, you know I actually thought about this a little while ago um, uh, I was having a conversation with 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 a lawyer um, about a project and uh, the funny thing he said you know the, the only difference between engineers and lawyers is that uh, engineers actually apologize for their rates, right? But what he's getting at essentially is that, you know, we, we tend to find ourselves in competition with each other as opposed to collaboration, right? You know, um, uh, um, firms that do similar things would actually compete against each other. And, you know, that's great, but you, you become very siloed where you have, you know, your own unique approach to issue um, um, uh, especially climate change. And what I see is that there is a lot of room on the market for, for collaboration where, where, you know, various experts in different companies can actually get together, uh, you know, um, without the fair competition and actually, you know, drive change within the market. I sit on a number of boards, uh, um, one of them in Alberta being the Recycling Council of Alberta, and that is exactly that forum where we could sit down and you know strip away the companies that we came from and actually do some creative thinking and actually push change in the market, mm -hmm. right? And uh, only with this collaboration can we really see real change because the thing is is that otherwise we're still competing over the same same uh, same old traditional methods that you know uh, like in my opinion aren't aren't you know. Um, Dipping around since the dawn of time. So landfilling, for example, why do we still need to landfill? But you know, we as as individuals see only one small, small piece of the answer. But if we we, we can actually drive collaboration throughout the industry, we can actually start to find a lot, you know, more um engineer to, um you know creative ways of actually um solving these issues. And like um, um as I said before. We can all make money doing the right thing, but we need to drive change we, 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 uh, um, through sharing ideas. Wow. No, that's a certainly truth as well, too. Otherwise, like, you know, if we wouldn't have, like, evolved the way we are right now in terms of technologies, right, without collaborations. But mm -hmm. uh, quite often, like, a lot of companies or even within engineers within the same department, they're competing and then holding on their own personal ideas and then or not sharing, not collaborating. And, that discourages a lot of advancement in technologies and yeah, exactly collaborative thinking as well too. So it's great, well said. Um, so is there anything else that you want to discuss that we haven't really covered today? I know that you're a big fan of uh, a lot of different renewable energy sources and stuff like that. If time permits, you we can definitely you know continue on, or we can uh, you know have another episode to talk just talk about another types of source of renewable energy as well too. Yeah, uh, um, I think I've cover most of it. Uh, my only sort of like, you know, part of message is that, you know, given that um, renewable natural gas is is becoming a much hotter um, uh, topic on the Canadian market, uh, you know, um, my only hint or, you know, you know, um, uh, tip I don't leave everyone uh, with is that, you know, uh, RNG is great, but it's uh, a bit of old uh, technology. Um, uh, just stay on the lookout for hydrogen. 
Yeah. So that's the next step, the next evolution. Uh, it's being used across Europe right now, but um, uh, that would turn the Canadian energy market upside down and it, it will be a great addition. <laughs> well, well done. Thanks a lot, Andre, for your time today. Really appreciate it. Uh, let's look for another opportunity to have you again come on on and speak about that you're, you're, you're passionate about too. Hey, thank you very much, Marco. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. Take care. You too. Take care. Bye-bye.